Would you rather eat spinach or pet a bird? Could you see yourself opening a bakery with your sister? Do you have the balls to be a Coney Island clown? It's the Fleischer Brothers this week on Why Do You Know That? Welcome to Why Do You Know That? The podcast where we want to know why you know so much about that very specific topic. I'm Nadia Osman. I'm Steve Slaga. Hi, Steve. Hello. How's your day? Fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a busy weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What'd you do? Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. I just did shit. I didn't do anything worth talking about. I spent, <laughs> I spent like uh, the last week and a half cat sitting two different people's cats at the same time. And I started to go crazy on day five <laughs> because I basically ended up in a situation where I realized I was having to wake up earlier than I normally would in order to make sure everybody's being fed. And then you need to make sure that you're spending time. And both of these cats are very social cats. So I needed to make sure that they were Everybody's getting the same amount of love, and so it's going back and forth and back and forth. And at some point, I was just like, I don't know if I have underwear at this house because I think I left it at the other house. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just sitting there going, like, I think I need to walk commando to the other house, get underwear. And then I got there and went, nope, I left it at home. So then I had to come at some point over the weekend. Can I give you some advice yes. that I've done multiple times? Okay. Just go to Marshalls. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're I can't right. tell you how many times I've needed like white socks for work and be like, I guess I'll just buy. I've got I've gone to Marshalls multiple occasions and just bought single pairs of white socks. <laughs> no, so, you're right. I should have yeah. just gone to Target. I should have yeah. just immediately been like, I don't know. I'm going to Target Commando and I'm just going to yeah. rip open a pair of underwear in the store and put that on. Well, I mean, you could buy them first. No, no, no. yeah, <laughs> I agree. Okay, I'm singled out. I'm singled out here. That's fine. Before I get too cartoonish, is that a good sign? Wow. Let me introduce our guest. Uh, He is an illustrator and animator, and he's done some work for Nickelodeon, Mad Magazine, and Comedy Central. Please welcome David Cantrowitz. Hi. Hi. Hey, guys. Oh, my gosh. I'm very excited. Um, We're so happy to have you. Just because... Yeah, uh, I know why. Because uh, <laughs> I, I love talking about the Fleischers, and I've definitely bored my wife to death uh, sharing factoids about them. So I'm very happy that you actually want me to talk about them. Oh, you're going to... Oh, you mean the topic. Yeah. He's not going to be here. <laughs> no, yeah. No, I don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to talk at people. <laughs> you were on the street before this. Like, <laughs> yeah. You like, did have- you know that Max invented the rotoscope? <laughs> Sir, excuse me. <laughs> You just have pamphlets mm-hmm. and shoving in people's faces, <laughs> uh, like some kind of. I was gonna say like some kind of door-to-door salesman. I'm like, that's not what that job is. I think <laughs> no. door salesmen have like a product, and they actually knock on your door. They're trying to get to know you. Yeah. I'm thinking of um, lunatics. 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 That's yeah. the job I'm thinking of. Lunatics. Sounds like a good job. Um, uh, we can get right into it because. You have so many things to say, and I have so many questions. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I've got stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve's here. Good. I'm here. Oh, hey. I'll provide commentary where needed. Good, good. And you know what? I'll be quiet when I don't need to say something. Nice. Because you're a professional. Mm-hmm. Now, because I've started editing our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today's topic is, it is pronounced the Fleischers. Fleischers, right? I the believe Fleischer so, yes. Brothers. Max and Dave Fleischer. Max and Dave, but let's also not forget Lou and Joe 
and uh, there's another one too. There's a whole bunch of Fleischers, but Max and Dave are the are the main my main boys. I read that there were five kids in the Fleischer family. That sounds correct. Lou is the other big one because he did a lot of music for the cartoons. Oh. But Dave was credited as directing virtually every cartoon the studio made. Max was sort of the the brain trust slash producer overseer of the studio. Uh, before we get too deep into who the Fleischers were yeah. and what they did, let's just get into it. Why do you know that? <laughs> okay. So obviously I just in general am an animation nerd because I, I am an animator and illustrator and it's a thing that I like a lot. Um, and the Fleischers are a weird pocket of animation history that there's just not, there's not a lot of information on them. Um, and like when I first started to like dig into them and like uh, first became sort of fascinated by them, uh, there were more questions than answers. Uh, like I have, I have a book, uh, I believe it's written by John Grant called Masters of Animation. And it's just sort of like a sort of general overview of like the main animation luminaries. Um, and this book uh, has like, like a decent amount of information on the Fleischers, but still a lot of question marks. And like, also an inherent fascination with them is the weird family drama. Ooh, uh, that's definitely a big part of my fascination. Cause like, uh, so this like first book I read by John Grant, or like this chapter in his book, uh, firmly puts the blame on Max for the studio dissolving, or rather for the for their partnership dissolving. Um, and I was like, yeah, fuck Max. Dave was like the creative genius who didn't get any credit. And then I read more and, uh, I think I'm convinced that it's the other way around that Max did his best and that Dave was kind of an asshole. Oh, <laughs> um, I can do it too, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. But what else is there for me to do? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, okay, when we talk, think about animation and we think about uh, just general overview history of animation, it's yes. like the first thing that comes to mind is, of course, Walt Disney. Of course. And uh, the Disney Studios, which now own the entirety of Hollywood and all of its intellectual properties. Mm -hmm. That's um, bad, right? It's totally bad. Okay. Yeah, it's probably not great for, I, for creativity. <laughs> I don't know that he even would have wanted that. I think he... No, well... Maybe, maybe. I don't know. He yeah. was a very... Uh, Do you think Walt Disney would be a fan of The Simpsons? Absolutely not. Yeah, I don't he, know if it's wholesome enough. I think it's interesting with Walt Disney because people will always be like, when Disneyland takes out old rides, they're like, that was Walt's baby. That's important. He loved Carousel of Progress. And it's like, <laughs> Walt, 10 years later, would have been like, that is a shitty dump. Nobody <laughs> goes anymore. It's outdated. Put in something that's going to bring people and make me money. Yeah. 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 He was very Silicon Valley mm -hmm. um, before that was a thing. Yes. It's all about disruption, literally. He yeah. He like, mortgaged his house to build Disneyland. I think it's fair to call him a visionary. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah. I so think anti-Semitic visionary, but a visionary. Yeah, actually, I would say he wasn't. That's <gasps> my that's my hot take and on Disney. Jewish. And I'm Jewish. I also, well, I have, my whole take on that whole thing is that he is, but also so was everyone else. It yeah. was just the way things were at the time. I mean, I think that he was as progressive as any uh, a person from his time period born in Kentucky would be. So, like, maybe he had some biases, but... The anti-Semitism thing for, oh man, we're going for it, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> 
But hey, we can always cut it out. Uh, that was something because uh, I I think the shittiest thing Walt ever did was name names uh, oh, yeah. for on the uh, what's it called House of Un-American mm-hmm. Activities, right. whatever's called McCarthyism. Yeah, the HUAC. Yeah, HUAC. Um, and that aligned him with some groups that were outwardly anti-Semitic. But that doesn't mean that he felt that way. But that's when the rumors started. Yeah, more than anything, I think he was, uh, like you said, a progressive for that time, potentially. But I mean, yeah. it was so Im- Bedded and ingrained in American culture that like everybody's racist, yeah. like the kind of. But but this, it's more that he was anti-union yes, than anything agreed. else. And this sort of ties in with the Fleischers because like, uh, they're the story of the Fleischers slash Disney. They're, they're like they're weirdly like like mirror opposites of each other. Like the like Disney was in California and his cartoons were very wholesome and they were like these cute little animals. Uh, he like aligned himself with Christian values pretty equally. Uh, the Fleischers were very Jewish and New York and rough and tumble, and they had like gross human characters in yeah. all of their cartoons. Like Popeye is disgusting. I love Popeye. Pop like Popeye is a cartoon character that shouldn't like like it's crazy. He couldn't exist today if you pitched that cartoon of like he's a one-eyed sailor who like who who mumbles all the time uh, and likes to beat people up. Wait, is Popeye have one eye? Yeah, yeah, he's like squinting all the time. I? Whoa. (laughs) Pa I. Like, no, I, no, no, no. Don't research it. No. Um, I'm not making a discovery, am I? This is groundbreaking stuff right here. I'm Googling. You guys keep talking. Steve. Disney, I'm Googling. I'm going to call it now. Steve is a visionary. You're a visionary. Um, Yeah, so the Fleischer animation, as you're pointing out, it's like Disney. I don't know the terms for this, so I'm just going to kind of make it up. It's sort of like round, softer, like not clean lines, but like a cleaner look versus the Fleischer Brothers, which are kind of more of a loose... Yeah. Improvised almost animation. Uh, the, the very surreal looking. It surreal became, is 100% correct. Uh, I read a thing called The New York Style, which mm-hmm. I'm sure there are other people behind, but they were such a big influence on guys like Robert Crumb and Al Columbia, like a lot of underground comics yeah. that watched Fleischer Brother cartoons and went like, this is the thing I want to do, not necessarily Disney animation. Yeah. Um, I think another aspect of it, too, is that the Fleischer's uh, solely had commercial aspirations, uh, whereas Disney was like, for lack of a better term, a little more pretentious, and he like wanted to make high art, and it sort of backfired on him with Fantasia, and people were like, "Fuck you, keep making fairy tales." <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the Fleischers just wanted like they had a rule where every scene had to have a gag in it. Um, Disney like Disney cared more about like naturalistic uh, like uh, character performances. Whereas the Fleischers wanted to sell cartoons and fill them with gags. Yeah. Uh, it's also like so much more grungy and racy and it was all uh, pre-Haze code. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you get a lot of, from what I did in my very minimal research, uh, lots of pre-code content that's just like, oh, they couldn't get away with that later. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that contributed to their downfall. I think I think that definitely did. I mean... They kept making Betty Boop cartoons post uh, Hayes uh, uh, restrictions, and they're not good. Like, they turned Betty Boop into just sort of like a housewife 
Uh, and then, like, the cartoons would follow her cute dog because Betty Boop herself was too boring. <laughs> yeah, I wanted Betty Boop sexy. Yeah! Well, I a real slut. <laughs> um, should we, not for me, because I did research, but uh, go over to <laughs> Should we go over the Hayes Code? We should. Just to let our fan base know? Yes, our four people listening. Um, I volunteer to not. <laughs> The Hayes Code, what, is it Arthur Hayes, I think was his name? I don't know. Yeah. So basically, uh, there were a series of films that came out, and uh, super religious groups came forward and said, Hollywood's ruining our kids, and essentially an alliance was made between Hayes, and then I want to say like Paramount, and... Um, yeah, a lot of studios Fox, were like, but like the Warner Brothers studios, they all basically got in bed with this guy. And there, for a while, there was an agreement of like, look, uh, we're going to make our scripts the way we've been making them. And then we'll have a version that's a little bit more cleaned up. But then you look like you're doing your job and we'll just pay you under the table. That's yeah. my understanding of it. Yeah, I don't. I also don't know a ton about it, but it does sort of feel like uh, studios were bullied into following it by like. Uh, yeah, like political pressure and public opinion. Yeah, and so at the end of the day, what ended up happening is that uh, you had a while where there was creative license and freedom, especially once talkies really came on the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But the silent era, you've got a lot more like, you know, not porn or anything, but just like definitely racier. Racier, yeah. Like people, I don't know if it's so much cursy, but just like more adult content. And then in the Hayes Code, it's like, that's where you end up with a lot of films where people say like, well, you sure are a swell gal. And then a man grabs a woman's shoulders, holds her tight, and then does that weird like forced kiss thing because it's like, well, now this will show that these two are in love. (laughs) As if like that's, you know, as opposed Mm -hmm. to like an actual naturalistic performance. Yeah. Like you kind of- I feel like the the Hayes Code is probably a main contribution to, to like why people see cartoons as purely for kids because i think that once cartoons had to be softened up that much that that much they like started looking as looking at kids as their main demographic but before that that wasn't the case and they were real raunchy and fucked up <laughs> i feel like there is an entire series from you must remember this about that and i hate to direct people to a different podcast but you guys I'm if you stop what you're doing <laughs> stop listening to this podcast if you like podcasts, you got to check out. I'm just saying, I'm sure Karina Longworth did hours of research. Yeah, probably. And she sounds so sexy. So. Ooh. Sometimes she hits some consonants in a weird way. This episode was written and edited. <laughs> but, uh, but we love you. Yeah. Hey, we love you. Hey, Karina. Come hey. on. Hey. Karina. On our show. Karina. Hey, Karina, come by anytime and uh, school the shit out of me about the Hayes Code. Yeah. In fact, Karina, come right now. David, we're done. Okay, bye, guys. We have Karina Longworth in the bathroom. <laughs> She's been there the whole time? Yes. Why? In case you were bad. All right, that's fair. <laughs> it's always good to have a backup plan. Um, so Hayes Code, I would say, is kind of like, this Hayes guy sounds like, the Catherine Zeta-Jones character in Rock of Ages, if that helps anyone. Yes! The, the one who's like, no rock and roll! Yes. Come to church! Okay, yeah. We're not gonna take it. Yes, this is an extremely apt comparison. Okay, good. Um, Thank n- you. Now we all know. <laughs> Thank God my co-host is Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get into a little bit about 
the stuff that the Fleischer brothers did. Like a little yeah. bit more of just sort of an overview of the studio. Great. What, and what, the characters of that what they they've done. Yeah. Okay. We mentioned Betty Boop. We mentioned Popeye. Yes. Which I didn't know they created, and I thought I knew a lot about animation, and I was very embarrassed when I started reading it. I went, oh. I'll 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 do I'll do you one further. They didn't create Popeye, which I think. Oh no! They they got the comics. They got right. permission. Or they like struck a deal with uh, whatever it was at the time. King Feature Syndicate? Question mark. Uh, to use comic, yeah. Popeye was already a successful comic, and uh, but they made Popeye into cartoons. Yeah, they definitely turned him into the star that we n- know him to be. Um, and like the whole spinach thing is purely from the cartoons that was never in the comics, and that's like a big part of what we think of as Popeye's whole deal is the spinach. They invented the spinach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I say if you invented the spinach, you invented Popeye. Right. There's like a there's a comic where there's like a magical bird that Popeye rubs to gain his power and the the Fleischers <laughs> it's bonkers and the Fleischers were like that's too complicated it's going to be a can of spinach <laughs> I'm just thinking about they're looking at the source material yeah. and being like mm, there's so many hoops we got to jump through to talk about how you got this yeah. bird uh <laughs> What? Why, what's, yeah. what's in the fridge? What's in the fridge? He eats a something. Can of spinach. Yeah, yeah, right, fine. This, what's in the fridge? This thing's do Friday. Let's fine. go to this can of spinach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're like definitely the reason Popeye became as big as he did. Um But I do think that like that's a that contributes to why the Fleischers never truly made it to a Disney level because they didn't own Popeye. Their other huge success was the uh, the like older Superman cartoons. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The ones yes. that Around kind of in like the early 40s. Yeah, and those were also groundbreaking and a uh, uh, pretty cool departure for the people who did these rubber hose bendy crazy. 20s cartoons to turn around and suddenly do like basically cartoon superhero like film noir short films Mm -hmm. but again they didn't own superman either so like two of their biggest successes are characters that they don't own so like that sort of put a damper on like them being financially secure uh one of them was I want to say nominated for an Oscar, one of those Superman shorts. No, Probably. I'm thinking of a. Maybe no, you're a, right, Superman. I have was? it right here. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> nominated for an Oscar, 1941. See, David can do it too. Uh, <laughs> no, that's my thing. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. The low microphone. This so is why I you have to uh... do the. I need to do the onomatopoeia work. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, it lost to Lend a Paw, a Pluto cartoon. Oh, God well, yeah, damn. that's Pluto. Well, yeah. I yeah, mean. I mean, there's no way those two can compete. Of course. Um, Betty Boop is kind of their only original character who took off. And I could spend an entire podcast talking about the Betty Boop lawsuit. I don't oh, know if you yeah. guys have heard about this, but it's fucking bonkers. And also, like, the Fleischers did some shady shit they straight up tampered with evidence. I'm shaking my head. I don't know this. Steve is nodding his head. He does I know. Um, I would love to talk more about the Betty Boop lawsuit. Um, yes, there was an actress who uh, 
claimed that uh, they had stolen her likeness. And um, I'm going to let David tell the story a little bit better. But Great. I do want to... Um, uh, she claimed that uh, she she tried to claim that they couldn't use phrases boop boop a dupe, boop booba dupe, boop boopa do, or boop a dupe, or similar combinations of such sounds, or simply boop alone. Goddamn! <laughs> so that's what she wanted yeah. two hundred fifty thousand dollars for. The uh, the press had a field day with this whole thing, and it was like the the trial lasted years, um, and yeah, the headlines are like are like uh, what was her name Helen Helen Kane. Yes. So like Helen Kane boops out her sorrows, and like like people just saw it as a joke, and it was like uh, you know for the time like uh, a down on her luck actress going up against. Uh, like a celebrity cartoonist was like laughable and nobody really gave her any credit, which is a shame because like she had a case. Yeah. It's probably like the McDonald's hot coffee thing where in the moment everyone's like, fuck you. Yeah. And then you look back and it's like, Oh wait, should we maybe take a moment to see it from their side? Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Didn't you get like second or third degree burns yeah. from that thing? Like yeah. that is too hot. That's too hot. So they tampered with evidence. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it looks very likely that they did. Guys, I'm going to get into this. Okay, Please. so here's what happened. Uh, first and foremost, Grim Natwick was an animator uh, who uh, definitely did the original designs for Betty Boop, even though years later, Max Fleischer denied this, and Max took credit for creating Betty Boop. Uh, but Grim Natwick was like the lead animator and character designer on a bunch of these cartoons, so it makes more sense that it would be him. And he admitted in the 70s that uh, Dave brought some sheet music from one of Helen Kane's songs that had a photo of her on the front and said, make a dog character like that that looks like her. Wait, it started with, hey, look at this sexy lady. Now make that sexy lady into a dog. Yeah, yes. Betty Boop was a dog first. Betty Boop was first a dog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll find a picture for her. Oh, it, it's weird looking. She can't be a lady. I need her to be a dog. Yeah. That dog will be so sexy. So sexy. Um, and... Because they had, um, for all of the Fleischer's career, they had a deal with Paramount. Because of that, they were just sort of willy-nilly using uh, uh, actors under contract at Paramount in their cartoons. And they also had access to songs that Paramount was releasing. So it was not unheard of for them to just grab a Paramount star like Helen Kane and do a cartoon version of her and put it in a cartoon without asking. I thought that the Fleischer brothers were bought out by Paramount in the late 30s, early 40s. I didn't realize that they were also working for them as like, free, you know, as under yeah. some sort of freelance contract. This is another, I think this is like maybe the, me, the main reason they did not uh, have the longevity of Disney is, is the financial breakdown of things, which I only kind of understand. But Disney uh, was always uh, independently getting his, uh, his money to finance his movies and then striking deals with distributors. We, side note, we have Bank of America to thank for Snow White. Like, they were one of the few people who were like, okay, we'll give you a loan. We, th we think this could work out. Wow. Yeah, so that's crazy. But the Fleischers didn't work that way. They had an exclusive, exclusive deal with Paramount. Paramount signed all of their checks. So they were like sort of chained to them. And then when Paramount got word that things weren't going well between the brothers, they sort of like bullied them into uh, uh, quitting. 
and okay. into resigning. Uh, so I'm trying to think if there's like a modern version of this happening. Like, is it that Disney was sort of like, Oh, what might our younger listeners understand? Like a YouTube creator? A little bit. I'm trying to think. Making their own thing and then trying to get funding. And then the Fleischer brothers are. Yeah. um, I'm sure that there's a Silicon Valley (laughs) equivalent of like, you know what? Mm, No, this is not a good, this is not a good comparison, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, Movie Pass. People love it. People loved it, but like they didn't know how to make money off of it, and they were like constantly in debt and trying to figure out what they were doing. Uh, that's not a very good one. <laughs> if there was like an app that that didn't go public, even though they were doing super well, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. Okay, all right. So it's like it. Mm. Like everybody loves it and everyone's using it, but like they're always in debt. Okay, yeah. And then Disney is the app that like decided to. Yeah, although, oh, that being said, awesome. Disney was in debt for a lot of it. Like, I don't know. Again, I only kind of understand the financials of it. Right. But, um, yeah, but they, so they like pretty exclusively worked with Paramount and that's how they got access to all of these stars. And, oh, another another piece of the puzzle is uh, the woman who did Betty Boop's voice, was, she won a Helen Kane impersonation contest. Jesus. Uh, and that's like part of why she got the gig to do Betty Boop's voice. Wow! <laughs> yeah. But okay, so like the main offenders of like the, the fucked up parts of the trial, uh, there is a Betty Boop cartoon where Betty Boop is doing impressions the entire time. And it's like a classic rule of three, uh, a like a caricature of the celebrity comes up that she's about to do an impression of. Um, and then she does the impression. But then there's a weird cut in the cartoon before she sings a Helen Kane song. Um, and there are a handful of of animation historians, including Ray Pointer, who wrote a very good book on Max Fleischer, uh, who believes that they cut from the cartoon a caricature of Helen Kane <laughs> before she did it. And there's a wide shot where you can kind of see the caricature uh in the background on stage it's like a fucking thing oh my god yeah and like the most popular song that betty boop sang was i want to be loved by you Mm -hmm. which was a helen kane song this is wild yeah it's crazy and it's like again it's like it's a very good example of like mob mentality yeah in in the press and also in public opinion and also like sexism of like of like this floozy of a has-been of an actress like thinks that she can make a quick buck out of our favorite cartoonist max fleischer you know what i mean yeah absolutely it also just seems so much like the ultimate gaslighting lawsuit oh, big where time. it's just like no you stole my likeness uh no we didn't yeah. uh no uh you were supposed to be a dog uh, how could you say that we stole this from yeah, you? Your Honor, Your Honor, look, this is a beautiful lady. <laughs> we made a dog. Obviously, very two different things. Beautiful ladies yeah. go la 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 la. Dogs go woof woof. Case closed. <laughs> and the judge is like, well, he said case closed. <laughs> Normally, that's my line, but well. you know what? And then he's like, wait, is it? I think that's the lawyer's line. Okay, I found it. Uh, the cartoon that I was talking about is called Stopping the Show. And it's, yeah, it's Betty Boop doing a bunch of impressions. And then out of nowhere, uh, 
you don't get to see the her the person that she's doing the last impression of. It also, uh, I forgot this part. This was this cartoon was based off of May Questel's uh, vaudeville act. May Questel, who did the voice the voice of Betty Boop, and was known for her impressions of Helen Kane. So it like so clearly is based on Helen Kane. Right. And she has every right to be like, you guys owe me some money for using my likeness to sell toys and shit. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, pretty shitty. Yeah. And I mean, it's the 30s, 30, 20s. Mm, no, not, 30s. This 30s. was 30s. This yeah. Was, I mean, either way, it's it's a woman in the 30s so everyone's just like no nah, she's probably wrong yeah because she got that vagina <laughs> yeah so yeah she's wrong yeah exactly. she's having one of her womanly fits exactly yeah. it's yeah. a woman trouble you're hysterical mm-hmm. ma'am please sit down some smelling salts will do you right it's <laughs> also it's the great depression so i'm sure there's also the sense of like ah here comes that woman who wishes she was a cartoon dog looking for a buck <laughs> yeah uh, it was a crazy thing, and the Fleischers were shitty about it. Also, the reason the case was dismissed and the final ruling was against Helen Kane is because they found a very old recording uh, of uh, an African American singer who I think was named Baby Esther or something like that. Um, and they claim that on the recording, she says boop, boop, a dupe or some version of it. So they were like, aha, someone did it before you. And that's why you don't have a case here. But that evidence before that evidence was brought into court, uh, they tried to listen to the recording uh, and it kept cracking at the part where it would say boop, boop, a dupe. So the Fleischers were like, don't worry, we'll take it to our studio and fix it. Oh, bless them absolutely wild yeah. i'm still just wrapping my head around how much evidence they tampered with it's crazy it's no good uh let's get into who these two guys yes really yes. were as people because yeah. right now we haven't painted the prettiest picture we've painted a picture of a guy of two guys who looked at a woman so let's make that a cartoon dog and then looked at the fridge and said i don't know just give him some fucking spinach <laughs> that's so true. how did these guys become <clears throat> luminaries in animation okay that's a great question and you're right because they truly are uh if we call walt a visionary we should call the fleischers pioneers Okay. They figured. Oh. They, uh, Look at you creating quotes for a book jacket. <laughs> uh, the also this Ray Pointer book that I really liked. I think it calls him uh, the the animation pioneer. So I didn't make that up. Um, but it's it's it, it's a good description of of him slash the Fleischers in general. They they took out an insane amount of patents. They were also like kind of inventors who happened to also be good artists. They invented the rotoscope, which was a pretty big deal. Um, Explain the rotoscope because yes. as I was trying to wrap my head around it, I was like, I know this is important, but I don't, ex- I can't yeah, figure out was, technically why. It was basically a way of tracing live action footage to make animation look more naturalistic. Because at the time, again, this is, this is, Pre, this is like, I think one of their first cartoons that did this was 1919. So this is early in the history of animation. Uh, To give some context to the history of animation. So the dinosaur, Gertie. Gertie. Windsor McKay. Gertie happens when? Ooh, Gertie is, I don't even know, like 
in in 1910s yeah in the tens all right so in the tens we've got a dinosaur and people flip their shit they're like oh my god this drawing is moving and that took Windsor McKay like two years right so then and then um Oswald the Lucky Rabbit happens in the 20s yeah so this is pre-Oswald the Fleischers were also kind of even though uh people widely claim or widely believe that Steamboat Willie was the first sound cartoon. It's not entirely true. It's just the first one that was widely released. The Fleischers were experimenting with it before Disney, and there are actually letters that uh, that Disney that Walt wrote to his brother Roy, where he was like, "I just saw this awesome Fleischer cartoon where they they did some crazy stuff with sound." Did oh, they, <laughs> did, they, did they try to sue, and then Disney tampered with the evidence because that would be delicious. That would be good. Here's bringing up anti-Semitism. Uh, they were thinking of suing Disney because he clearly used rotoscoping in uh, Snow White. Uh, but they were advised against it because they didn't want to look like, because uh, this was like 40s when anti-Semitism was on the rise and they were worried about looking like uh, New York media Jews who were coming against a wholesome Kentucky boy. Gotcha. Uh, is it Kentucky that he's from or is it Missouri? I'm actually not sure. Missouri. It, he's oh, from Missouri? Yes. Okay. Look, I'm here to talk about the Flashers. I don't know where the <laughs> fuck Disney's from. <laughs> I've never even heard the name. <laughs> no, I should know these things about Disney. But you know what I mean. Oh, fuck it. It's their next door to each yeah, other. Yeah, whatever, right? whatever. It's in, in that area of the world. It's not um, like he was, you know, it's not like it's a monument in Chicago dedicated to the guy, and we've all forgotten that. Uh, um, so, okay. So, in the history of animation, so rotoscoping happens uh post-dinosaur movement, but before Oswald and kind of cartoons playing before movies regularly. Yeah. So explain rotoscoping as a thing. Yes. So rotoscoping uh, was an invention that allowed them to basically project film onto paper a frame at a time so they could trace a live performance. Um, And so like, as amazing as Gertie the dinosaur is, the motion is not very fluid at all, and it's very herky-jerky, and that's that's sort of what animation was like at the time. It was either like beautiful drawings and not great motion design, or like like decent motion and terrible drawings. Which is also why like a lot of older Disney movies use the exact same. Like you can watch Jungle Book and Robin Hood, and they're doing the exact same dances. Yeah, it's just easier. It's to, just easier. The motion's there. It's fluid. Yeah, somebody Trinity made Marion put a thing on her head. Boom! Put a thing on her head. You got yourself a yeah. movie. <laughs> um. So yeah, but so Max invented this in his living room because he was a mad genius, uh, and he spent eight months doing like a proof of concept. Uh. Uh. Do where and he like used an animated version of Chaplin and he was like I'm totally gonna sell this concept of animated Chaplin cartoons this is genius and he like brought it around to try and sell and people were like we don't you don't own Chaplin you can't do anything with this uh, so that's like if one of us was like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna do an Avengers thing yeah and then we're totally gonna make money from it oh yeah we're gonna make a Avengers uh, cartoon and people are gonna love it like no you can't do that it was a crazy thing that he did but also just was... imagine everywhere plastered on billboards the Avengers cartoon hey. starring Nadia and Steve <laughs> and a new cartoon dog 
It's going to be perfect. A sexy, sexy cartoon dog. A new cartoon sensation yeah. from the animation studio that just started. Oh, we're going to make millions. So they just yeah. didn't think it through. No. Okay. Um, but Dave Fleischer at the time was working as a clown on Coney Island. I'm sorry? Uh, he was working as a clown on Coney Island. Okay, good Would continue. you like to know how he got the job? Uh, I did read that he, well, they lived, they were in a poorer part of Brooklyn at the time for yeah. a while, and then... The Jewish section. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not, it's not a funny thing. It's true, though. It's no, a, they were, they were poor. Del- it was your delivery. They were poor uh, Polish Jewish immigrants, and that greatly affected their cartoons. Like, like, look how grimy Popeye cartoons are. Like, it's like always disgusting cityscapes. Yeah, he eats one food. <laughs> and it uh, comes in a can. Yeah. That's how they were described in uh, whatever article I copied and pasted was dark humor, adult psychological elements, and sexuality. And the environments were grittier and urban, often set in squalid surroundings. Yeah, that's what they grew up in. Yeah. And then eventually, at some point, the family moved to Coney Island. I don't know if they moved there, but Dave got a job there. Okay. He like just walked up to someone there and was like, I want to be a clown. And they were like, okay. <laughs> it was that simple. Steve, can you imagine a time in your life where you could have had the balls to adduce that no. for any kind of job? No, I worked at a... I guess when I was 14, I went to Twist and Shout Pretzels at the mall, and I said, (laughs) can I work here? And um, I wasn't 16, so Mm. I guess that was ballsy of me, but they hired me. I could only work three hours a day. They hired you? Yeah. That's adorable. Because of child labor laws, I couldn't work more than 18 hours a week or more than three hours a day. So I went in every day at three o'clock so that Maggie, the manager, could have her three-hour lunch. And then really? Wow. I can't, I cl- I'm not like a totally frightened of clowns person, but I don't care for them. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see why they are a thing. <laughs> if one approached me, I'd be like, please leave. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be very uncomfortable. And if you were to like say, close your eyes and think of the creepiest clown, <laughs> I would think of the Fleischer's uh, Coco the Clown. Coco the Clown. I don't think there's a creepier clown. Yeah, yeah pretty creepy. I, uh, I looked at some pictures earlier and then Steve's pulling up some pictures of Coco the Clown now and my God, mm-hmm. it is just the, per- like, like, if we need to explain to future generations, like, so what was happening during the Great Depression? And this isn't even the Great Depression. Yeah. This is the 20s. This is when things are fine. I'm yeah. just like, nope, it's Coca the Clown. Like, Coca the Clown is a embodiment of people being upset <laughs> all the time. Yeah. He's so terrifying looking. He looks like a, a, a large ghost man. Um, mm-hmm. And he's stuck with, around. He's in a with bunch a of... magic hat? He's, for some reason, like... Uh, one of the longest running cartoon characters, the Fleischer ad. He like he was Betty Boop's sidekick in a lot of cartoons. Like he stuck around. Yeah, what's up with that? Why did how did those two no hang out idea. together? It's very strange. It, it, like what uh MCU building was that? Where like at what like what what explanation was there for Goku the Clown um, and the Helen Kane ripoff <laughs> to hang out with each other? Yeah, I'm guessing they were both friends with the dog. <laughs> with Bimbo. Yeah, yeah. They were both friends yes. with Bimbo. Well, yeah. we know that, you know, Betty Boop started as a dog. Mm-hmm. And parallel to Disney, there's also confusion about Goofy starting as or being a dog at one point. That's right. So. Um, uh, Goofy, side note, was a goat in his very first appearance. What? Yeah, check I it did out. Not, I did not check know that. Check that out. I believe Canon is now Goofy is a goof. He's just a goof. Yeah. yeah. He's just a goof. Yeah. That's fun. And he has a son. He's got a son, Max. Yeah. 
which you know who else is named (laughs) (laughs) guys all cartoons are connected great sec great sec um david just pulled out a pin board and it's just like all this red check this out check this shit out it's scary (laughs) (laughs) um a quick thing about coco though uh they did some pretty awesome, crazy, surreal, and meta shit with their Coco cartoon because it was always Max. It was a combination of animation and live action, and like the sort of refillable formula of them was Max was like at his drawing easel drawing Coco, and Coco would come to life, and they would like have some sort of squabble. Uh, and like they were called out of the inkwell cartoons because Max would like sometimes just jump out of the inkwell or like the cartoon with en- would end with him jumping back in it and the, the cork going back on and they'd be like the end. Um, but the it was like a combination of live action and animation and stop motion and all of that was purely for budget reasons and time reasons. Like it would have taken them so long. Even even with the the shortcut that rotoscoping gave them, it still would have taken them so long to make a cartoon. And so when they got a uh, studio, Paramount, interested, or was it, it might have been Bray Studios back then. It doesn't matter. When they got a studio interested uh, in their cartoons, uh, they were like, can you pump these out monthly? And they were like, no, we can't because it took us so long to do, it took us like eight months to do a Charlie Chaplin proof of concept. So they're like, well, figure it out. And so their shortcut was doing this groundbreaking meta shit where where they had Max interacting with a cartoon. That's wild. Especially yeah. because I think we all, well, I don't know if we all, but like, uh, again, like you said, with Steamboat Willie being the first sound cartoon, you're like, eh. Not totally. I think of Mary Poppins as being like the first, I mean, it's the first feature. Yes. Um, that includes live action and animation, but it's a live action film with some animated bits. Yeah. And you're telling me that like 40 years prior, they're yeah. doing like the same amount of animation. It just. Uh, yeah, I don't even know. There, maybe there time so wise, many, I'm not sure. There are so many out of the Inkwell films, and I think the first one was, ni- uh, was the year 1919. That's- so they were so ahead of the curve. And also, like, I've been guilty of this too as an animation nerd. I obviously love Chuck Jones and Looney Tunes uh, cartoons and there's an incredible Chuck Jones cartoon, Duckamuck, is that what the one I'm thinking of? Uh, I should know these things. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Duckamuck where like the cartoonist is fucking with Daffy and like switching up the, the what's in the background or like yes. what costume what costume he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and like, that's often cited as like this genius piece of like meta cartooning where like Chuck Jones was really changing the game. But the Fleischers were doing that on a regular basis in the year 1919. It was also the first episode of Tiny Toons was yes. Buster getting drawn. That's right. And Tiny Toons is related to Looney Tunes. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, <gasps> It is kind of annoying to me that, like, I've done so many things cheaply and lazily and not gotten success from them. Right. The Fleischers managed to do something cheaper and lazier. Yeah, how come our cheap, lazy shit isn't seen as genius? Why are more people listening to this podcast? Yeah. Hey, listen, the four of you listening here, listen up good, okay? You got to make this Avengers cartoon happen for us. Our cheap, lazy ideas need to go somewhere. This could be millions. But the main draw is that sexy, sexy dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Avengers (laughs) and a sexy dog. And they all can fly. <laughs> all of them fly everywhere. We stripped out all the other powers, oh, and yeah. all they just do is fly around together yeah. with the sexy oh, yeah. dog friend. They fly to Egypt. 
and then they fly over to France, and they're just flying, and if they see bad guys, they beat them. They beat them up, and then they fly more. Do you have a favorite Fleischer cartoon character out of all their creations, whether they were uh, things that they created on their own, like uh, Coco the Clown, or things that they were borrowing from, like the Superman cartoons? I do genuinely love Popeye because they're so weird. Uh, I, I agree. And, and like, yeah, there there's... um. There's just something real, especially the earlier ones. Like I kind of like the cartoons where like they're not always on model and like the animation isn't perfect, but they still feel alive uh, in a way that like they just don't cart like they were discovering production processes while they were making these cartoons. So like they didn't have it down yet. Um, the Fleischers uh, maybe invented storyboards. It's like unconfirmed, but they were maybe the first to figure out like, oh, we should maybe plan this out. But before sound, where they had to like line things up to a sound recording, it it was way more of a improv feel. And like there was no plan. Dave, the director, would like sit down with an animator and be like, so we need a scene where this happens. And like, I don't know, what are some gags we could do here? And it was like a back and forth where the animators would just do their scene and come up with their own ideas for it. And I think that led to some like really cool, weird shit. <laughs> Popeye is really, my favorite thing about Popeye is his ad-libs and mumbling. Yes. Because Popeye, I'm probably all of them, but uh, Popeye was, uh, the voices were added post-animation. So yeah. they had to do the voices to go along with what's been animated. And so a lot of times, anytime the character's mouth wasn't shown, they would, uh, that's when they would ad lib or add. Yeah. And Popeye's mumbling. I could just watch, I could watch old Popeye cartoons. I agree. Uh, his, his mumbling is delightful. And here's some, here's some fun, uh, uh, voice actor trivia. The original, Popeye, uh, voice artist, uh, became such a fucking diva, uh, that he, uh, like the last straw was him showing up to a recording drunk and they were like, all right, we can't work with you anymore. And they replaced him. Uh, the story is that like, uh, Max was walking down the halls and like heard a pitch perfect impression of Popeye and was like, who is that? He like found an animator. I think it was an in-betweener. Uh, Jack Mercer was maybe his name. I think you're right. And he like just did a perfect Popeye impression. And he also happens to be a very funny improviser for those ad-libbing yeah. mumbling scenes. And to make it even more adorable, he later ended up marrying the voice of Olive Oil. Aww. But also like uh, uh, people rightfully point out that like before Jack Mercer, Popeye... Uh, there wa there weren't really any levels to his performance. He was always just sort of like gruff and weird. But Jack Mercer was able to like uh, somehow emote with this fucking weird voice uh, that Popeye has, and he like like just sort of uh, you cared more about Popeye uh, when he voiced him and brought some of that to the performance. Yeah, and there's something just about the spontaneity of it that's just it feels like you don't see that in any other cartoon. Just yeah. Popeye, just like mumbling nonsense yeah just like who is this man and he's always talking to himself yeah constantly <laughs> constantly in dialogue with himself yes and like and it's always so fast and so in such a mumbly tone that you can miss a lot of it yeah but like a lot of it's very funny 
So yeah, Popeye's great. Um, we we kind of touched on it a little bit. Bimbo the dog. Bimbo, yeah. Bimbo had their own. Um, their, uh, I love that Bimbo is described as a tubby black and white cartoon dog. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I mean, aren't they all? They're all just like real round. Yeah, just know. any of uh, meet my tubby dog. Bimbo doesn't look any tubbier than. I mean, I guess, well, I'm looking at a photo next to Betty Boop, so of course anyone's going to look like a tub when you're next well, to Betty yeah, Boop. obviously. Uh, or they're going to look like a yeah. less sexy dog. And wait, Betty Boop. Okay, so Betty Boop started as a dog girlfriend to Bimbo. Yes. Did she continue to girlfriend to Bimbo as a human? No, but Bimbo. That's good. But, like, both Bimbo and Coco would sort of be around to just sort of, like, look at her and be and like be like, ooh. Ooh, Foxy. Yeah. Um, which is weird because Bimbo's a dog and just weird in general for that to be in a cartoon. Um, the thing that I realized that I was going to say before is, uh, that Bimbo is the first known cartoon character to have fully animated dialogue, uh, in the short, my old Kentucky home. And I guess Bimbo says, follow the ball and join in everybody. And I wanted to ask, in this cartoon, is this something that I found out that they did, which is, you know, those little bouncing balls? Yeah. Along with, sing along with the song? Disney sing along. The Fleischers invented that, apparently. Wow. No, I think Disney did. No, did. Mm, no, you're no, thinking did. of the rotoscoping guys. Uh, Disney or the rotoscoping no. guys. <laughs> I think of Helen Kane. <laughs> no! Um, yeah. Yeah, like, they invented the bouncing ball. Crazy. And it I, is hard for me, though, knowing what, now knowing what I know about the Helen Kane lawsuit, it's hard when you tell me they invented this or did that for me to not be like, did they? <laughs> like if Disney was up here and the Fleischers were here, was there someone here that That's the really Fleischers funny. were taking from? I mean... Tex Avery? No, he came later. Tex Avery was later. Yeah, that's... The and Chuck Jones is later as well. Yeah, so like, and I do I do think Looney Tunes cartoons owe a lot to cartoons like Popeye. Yes, that like had a refillable concept that like the comedy was basically from heightening mm-hmm. violence. <laughs> you, you know, know what, what I mean? Well, you know what I'll say for Popeye? Strong game. Strong yes. game. A strong. Very game. strong game, game yeah. for all the comedy nerds who not a this. not a ton of strong women in no. Popeye. No. No. I'd love to see yeah. a new Popeye where olive oil's just got a little bit more. Oh God, Moxie, a little more Sony. to do. She eats some kind. She eats like arugula, and <laughs> or then be, or better, um, because it's the girlfriend. She puts on magic makeup. <laughs> God damn it, Steve! And then I they don't remember that. And he then said they that and up. looked directly. It made eye, direct eye contact with me when he said it, and then lost his shit the minute he said it. Uh, just because <laughs> I realize I can't say things on podcasts. To- <laughs> Audiences that don't that know. don't know the face that you're making, <laughs> yes, that exactly. don't know you well yeah. enough yet. No, but I, then again, magic makeup would be fun. I just want to put on the record that you pitched that in earnest. You that's think true. That that's, a really- <laughs> that's true. Because I'm not thinking about what the best thing for the world is. I think, all right, everyone's trash garbage, and yeah. everyone's selling their trash garbage. What's trash garbage I can sell? Um, Olive oil. So- look, I do. I do regret jumping into the lawsuit first because it doesn't paint the flashers in the best light but like yeah. they they truly were game changers um and uh, yeah i kind of just feel like the the lawsuit 
put yourself in their shoes. They like Betty Boop is their only original character that was successful. Mm -hmm. They were making a fuckload of money off of like arguably their only cartoon star. Like they they had to. You mean that you mean that creep Coco wasn't bringing in the big bucks? Not so much anymore. Not so much. Not since uh, 1919 or whenever the last. (laughs) And also, I mean, it happens all the time. I could. I can see how shady it looks, but I could also see a version of this where they didn't know. Yes. Or, you know, by osmosis, they had heard this voice. They knew this kind of character, this kind of performance. And, you and know. to their credit, a thing that they brought up that is true, there were a lot of actresses at the time that looked like Helen Kane because it was a popular aesthetic. It was mm-hmm. like a flapper girl yeah. thing that yeah, was like louise brooks comes yeah. to mind so if they were to you know be like hey we didn't do this so we're going to hide the evidence that makes it look like we did this and i think like uh, i don't know if this would hold up in court but like like i was saying before like they were doing this with every paramount star never caring about asking permission because because paramount uh supported it and and encouraged it so like for it to suddenly come and bite them in the ass they would probably be like fuck no um before we get into some of the later era stuff of the Fleischer brothers the max and dave are doing fine ish uh they maybe don't have the same i think it takes snow white to really put disney on the map yes well i mean no because he had mickey worth mentioning uh there are polls from the time period that confirm Popeye was a more popular cartoon character than Mickey. Yeah, it was like Mickey was like second or third, but yeah. Popeye was the lead guy. Yeah. So 1939, they have a huge falling out. And I saw bits and pieces about this. But I fe- what I was trying to get to before is that this falling out happens. Paramount kind of buys them outright and they go from the Fleischer studio to Famous Studios. Yes. And then some stuff happens after that. So let me back up. Okay. So they have a falling out in 39. So yeah, before before that falling out, we should briefly mention that uh, there was a pretty ugly strike that happened at their New York studio, and they made a terrible financial decision to move their studio to Florida, uh, which was 100% backed by Paramount, which sort of like further indebted them to them and like shackled them why miami uh uh oh i can answer this party in the city when the heat is on (laughs) all night on the beach till the break of dawn oh you're right you're right uh i honestly think it's because max had a vacation house there and knew some people involved in uh, the like who were like on the city board or whatever and and we're like if you build an animation studio here the tax incentives will be nice okay okay gotcha all right so they moved to miami but i also think a big part of it was he wanted to escape the animation union that was building uh and like trying to infiltrate his studio right because they wanted these guys to work around the clock for little to no pay yeah yeah uh just like disney just like Disney, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, but yeah, so they moved to Fleisch, uh, they moved to Miami, and Bienvenido on the Fleischer. Uh, it was, it's so I go, that one got Steve. You got I'm him. I'm so proud of myself. I got him. You well, got him. I got him. It was a reference to a joke I made. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
that's why I loved it. Um, you guys should see Steve's faces when he says these you things. You should. Well, it's... check the Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. Um, it, yeah, like I said, it was at first very hard to get to the bottom of what what the beef was between these brothers. Like I said, the first book that I read about them squarely put the blame on Max because what Max did was he wrote a letter to Paramount saying, um, I am no longer, like after we finish this uh, feature film we're working on or, or whatever was in their pipeline, he was like, I no longer am going to work with Dave Fleischer. And he like sort of put out that ultimatum that was a power move that was like, if you want me to keep pumping out successful cartoons, get rid of my brother for me. But instead, the way Paramount responded was, there's some drama going on, and uh, we're maybe losing money off of you guys, uh, so we're just going to take the studio from you. And they, like, Paramount pulled some very shady shit where they just sort of, like, delivered... Uh, an altered version of their contract. And they were like, if you don't sign this and agree to it and agree to resign, uh, we don't pay any of your artists from here on out. Whoa. Um, and they were like, okay. And this was at a point when Max and Dave were not on speaking terms. They were purely communicating through memos. <laughs> I'm just the funniest possible way for two people who are upset at each other to communicate. Bonkers. They literally were on opposite sides of the studio. The only way that could be better is if they had like a middleman sitting a foot in between them both. <laughs> and just like, will you tell Max yeah. that the budget for Superman needs to be approved? Jeff, will you please let Dave know <laughs> that the budget was approved, but that he did not look at the contract that I sent him? There's a there's an example in this book where uh, uh, Max Max has feedback on one of the cartoons, and it's like a very thorough and thoughtful uh, breakdown of like how to improve a cartoon. And then Dave waits a couple of weeks to respond and he says something shitty like sorry i don't think there's time anymore oh <laughs> oh. oh so things oh. were bad between them and it was so hard for me to get to the bottom of why hey just seeing this sorry <laughs> hey. oh that is the that's the yeah. equivalent yeah new what? office who dis yeah oh. <laughs> So why do you think that they had a falling out? Okay, so they, let's also just like go back to who they were as people. They were very different. More than once uh, in what I've read about Max, he's been described as a Victorian. He was always like very proper and like cared about how he appeared and he was always very polite and kind. Um, and Dave uh, was uh, more rough and tumble uh, by today's standards, definitely had both drinking and gambling problems. He had a bookie that full-time was in his office with him so he could make bets on horse races. Holy shit. Yeah. A full-time bookie? Full-time bookie. It's not even just like a guy you call on Sundays. He brought this bookie from New York to their well, to their yeah, Florida studio. He's gotta, he's gotta make all the good bets so that he can make all the money. Yeah. yeah. Money makes money. Yeah. Money makes money. Miami! <laughs> Um, and so yeah, and, uh, Dave was definitely a little more crass, uh, and people like, like sort of thought that he 
uh, was less sophisticated, and it was probably true. I mean, he was just less of an intellectual as Max. Max like invented a lot of stuff. Dave, weirdly, even though he direct was given like the role of director, he wasn't an artist. He would give notes on stuff, and he was like considered a good gag man, but he uh, wasn't like wasn't really a director. And a lot of the Popeye cartoons, they. Dave is always credited as director and then it says animated by and then it has two names. The name of the first person is the real director Mm -hmm. of those cartoons. Dave just sort of like oversaw everything. Okay. Anyway, so like Dave was kind of a mess um, and the thing that most likely was the main source of tension is that he was cheating on his wife with his secretary. Yeah, that's what I read. Yes, and to to Dave, this it was unheard of to be so out in the open about it. Or to Max. To sorry, yes, to Max. Oh okay. my God, yes, very important distinction. Yes, Max so, did not. So approve. Max is basically like you dishonorable uh, scallywag. How could you? And unconfirmed, but Max and his secretary were very close. Later in his life, when Max, like, was mounting a... a his secretary. <laughs> Wish you could see my face. <laughs> um, so, Dave... Wait, just to back up. Dave, the wild and crazy one, fucked his... Dave's secretary. His own, D- Dave fucked his own secretary. Okay. And then Max had his own... When he was sec- married. Right. And Max Obvious had... Obvious extramarital yes. affair. And then... Uh, Max, the prim and proper one, also had a secretary with whom he was close. Yes, but... Un- unconfirmed. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it it very it's it's very likely that the distinction was like, how dare you do this in the open? Mm hmm. But uh, I believe his secretary's name was Ruth, Max's secretary. But they stayed close till the end. And like I said, when he was mounting his secretary and mm-hmm. and a legal case. Uh, to get his name back on his cartoons, uh, Ruth like sort of single-handedly got all the evidence together to make it happen, and this not was like the wife. Yeah, not the wife. Hmm. Um. So yeah, so so there's all sorts of drama that like we don't have the full story of. We know that Dave was kind of a mess and was definitely cheating on his wife, and that upset Max. Um, but, uh. There also were creative disputes where Dave uh, felt like he wasn't getting his due and like Max was making more money and had a higher position and uh, Dave wanted more credit and he like sort of started lashing out. He like, he claimed that he out of nowhere could start writing songs for the cartoons and, 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 uh, Max was like, you've never done that before. <laughs> Why are you, what are you talking about? No, no, I watch, watch, watch. I'm a sexy dog. <laughs> boop, boopy doop. Boop, a doop, a floop. Um, yeah, so he was just like lashing out and was like mad at Max for getting all the credit, which I totally understand. And like I said, I, I read that like my first uh, account of Fleischer drama was in the Dave camp where they were like, yeah, Dave, like Dave was overshadowed by his brother and he had a right to feel that way. So like, I, I don't know. It's all still a mystery. And, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't mention this. Uh, Dave's son, Richard, uh, became a director, probably most well known for uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book about his father 
that should be good and it's so painfully whitewashed to make his dad look like a perfect human and it's such a bummer that it's not a more accurate portrayal of this animation pioneer because like if it you know if it had a more realistic depiction of it then what a better thing for us to learn from you know what i mean we want the warts and all yeah uh the uh richard fleischer's book spends a page and a half on the betty boop uh legal fight and he never once brings up uh the origin of betty boop the way he describes it is bimbo needed a girlfriend and um max decided to create uh, a flapper dog character and he never gets into any of the other stuff about like also grim natwick uh, created her based off of a Helen Kane photo. Mm. So like there there are moments like that in Richard Fleischer's book that are a real bummer because it's like you're not telling the full story and if anything you're like purposefully hiding some drama. Uh, I will say this in what I read about I think is the memoir called Just Tell Me When to Cry? Is that the book that Richard wrote? That is a book he wrote, but that's not this one. Oh, okay. So in a different book that he wrote. Um, So yeah, he worked for Disney and then um, Richard Fleischer was uh, brought to an honorary luncheon that united Max with Walt Disney. So they were at the same thing. And at this event, they were pretty cordial. Um, and then Max basically made some offhand comment to Disney about like, oh, it's so great how you're making educational films at this point in your career, which like the shade of that, yeah. I fucking die. Yeah. And then, but just, it turns out that Max, anytime somebody just mentioned Disney name, Disney's name would just be like, that's son of a bitch. Yeah. You're not, al- you were bitch. not allowed to mention Walt Disney in the Fleischer household. So later on, he gets into a little bit of the juicy stuff, yeah. but in that initial book, he just I mean, completely yeah. dismisses the co- like the invention of Betty Boop and yeah. the drama behind it. This which is book, I mean, like, and it has like a lot of really good, interesting anecdotes. Uh, he talks about going to the Snow White premiere uh, that he loved because he was a little kid when it happened. But then he got home and like saw just how pissed his parents were, and like even heard them say something like his uh, Max Fleischer's wife said something to him that was like, "He's making art." And you're, and you're, what are you making? Oh my God. Yeah. So like, fucking rough. No wonder he and Ruth, uh... Okay. Mm-hmm. Imagine being, you know, imagine being in the animation game before Walt Disney. And then out of nowhere, he fucking blows you out of the water with a very good feature length cartoon, which Max had been begging Paramount to let him attempt to do for years before Snow White. But then they fall apart, they become famous studio. And the um, Fleischers are not part of that. Right. And it's also kind of implied that uh, Max never did anything, like he, there, there probably could have been some legal repercussions. He probably had a case against Paramount for pulling this shit, but he never did because his son-in-law became the head of famous studios and he didn't want to put his job on the line or put anything in. Also, I think there was like uh, Seymour Niddle, I believe is the name of his uh, son-in-law who directed a lot of Popeye cartoons and then went on to run Famous Studios. But like he also like suffered a heart attack and Max was like worried about his health. There was just so much family drama that made Max be like, I, 
I don't know why Paramount did this to me, and I also can't fight back. It's... Oh, man. Yeah. What's just great thinking. is this was all decades ago, almost 100 years, and now Hollywood is fair <laughs> and righteous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this stuff doesn't happen doesn't anymore. Doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, it's great. No, no. no. It doesn't matter. You don't. It's not about being rich and white. Everybody gets their fair due. We've come, come back to Los Angeles, where pe- people know how to take care yeah. of each other. Is that yeah. the Simpsons quote? When it's the radioactive man and the film production oh, falls yeah, apart, yeah. and he's like, "Come back to LA, where people know how to treat each other right," or something like that. <laughs> it's just like that. Just like that. That was just a slice of life that they put into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the. I was going to mention a Popeye thing, which is basically like the sailor uniform stuff kind of came later. And it was basically because it's the war. Yeah, again, I mean, he always popular the way Donald always, Duck ended up in a sailor outfit. He always was a sailor in in a sailor outfit, but he didn't do a ton of sailing until the war happened. And then they were like, oh, we got to put him in the Navy. Well, he was probably waiting. Yeah, he was just waiting. He's dressed and ready to go sail something. Yeah, and then there's a lot of Popeye fighting Nazis, fighting mm-hmm. Japanese, as per was a lot of yeah, U.S. animated, U.S. propaganda backed animation. Yeah, uh, in order to contribute to the war efforts. So yeah, speak. without uh, without the Fleischers, Famous Studio like still did pretty well for themselves. One of their biggest characters is probably Casper the Ghost. That that definitely took off. Um, I think they also did like Baby Huey and a lot of those Harvey tunes. I could be misremembering, but like, yeah, the famous studios like did okay after the Flashers, but they were sort of, you know, like Casper cartoons were like very cute and nice. Little Lulu. They were cute and nice and innocent and like basically Disney cartoons. And they lost the like edge that the Flashers brought to it, I would say. Right. So it's almost like they were doing. Disney not as good as Disney. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you're a void of creativity and selfish and looking for money. <laughs> but I yeah. do like I do like Casper. Uh, what do you? Casper's what's great. your favorite part, David, about the Fleischer drama? Like, what part stands out the most to you in all just, of the family just, drama? I think that like just the fact that it was so hard to get to the bottom of what happened, and that I even still have questions. Uh, I think is interesting. Um, the, yeah, and like, I, I think that because my first exposure to them, like I said, was that John Grant book, and I like, I felt myself weirdly identify with Dave because I think anybody who's animated anything has probably felt that feeling of like, I put a ton of work into this and I'm not sure if it's fully being acknowledged. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like, I identify with that, and that, and like, it's a very similar dynamic to early Disney cartoons uh, where it was just like, it was just Walt and Ub Iwerks and Ub Iwerks like single-handedly animated a lot of the early Mickey cartoons and got none of the credit. And when he like finally got fed up and left, uh, he didn't ever really reach the same success. So like I knew, I knew that story with Ub Iwerks and I was like, Oh, I feel like that happened again with Dave where he just was like a creative genius that didn't get his due but it's obviously more complicated than that and I don't I don't it's a bummer that 
uh, Richard Fleischer's book doesn't really help us know what happened anymore. You know what I mean? Because like it's that's also not a truly accurate depiction of their dynamic. But if there was more information, there'd be less of a, a mystique around. You're right, and I think the best, like I said, this book by Ray Pointer that I read is very good and does get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff, even though like there's still some murky areas. Um, in fact, day. Uh, Ray Pointer, excuse me, uh, does get to meet Dave Fleischer before he passes away and like, like meets sort of like a sad, regretful old man who's like living off of his social security and like, uh, hobbles into another room and brings out a bunch of amazing original artwork and is like showing it to him and like reminiscing about the old days and like, uh, Ray pointer writes about how like you could tell that he's got a lot of regret about how things went down and he was living with his secretary (laughs) that he uh was having an affair with and ray even like starts to dig into that and like talk to some of her friends and about how like she was gunning for one of the fleischers and was like this is this is my this is my like ticket to living the good life is i'm gonna seduce one of the fleischers and there's like maybe there, there's rumors where like she maybe helped uh, feed the flames of of him like wanting uh, a bigger role in the studio and wanting more credit. So like the whole thing is fucking messy and very interesting to me. And maybe uh, maybe a part of it too is like we get such a squeaky clean version of the Disney story, right? Because like he kind of knew very early on he was building a legacy and he was like, like you, it's hard to name animation celebrities. You know what I mean? Like he was a celebrity. And he very much built a mythos around himself where he's like, walk him to California with a quarter in my pocket and another pocket full of dreams. (laughs) Yeah. Like he definitely, by the way, impeccable Walt Disney. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Do you think they'll let me in adjust for laughs? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But as an audience member, yes. (laughs) Yes. If you buy a ticket. Oh, you're right. You're right. And even that, they're selling out. Mm-hmm. So. Mm, fingers crossed. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed they can scalp one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he definitely built this mythos around himself uh, to the point where like he built a theme park with his own fucking name on it. Yeah. And then in that park is a statue of him with holding the characters yeah. he's created hand. Like... There is such a retelling of that story over and over and over again because I think early on he just was like, this is the, we're branding. This yeah, is branding. Exactly. I understand yeah. what branding is. And I feel like when I hear all this stuff about the Fleischers, they had no branding. I 100% agree. That's a thought that I had reading one of these books where I was like, yeah, this is kind of about the power of brand. Disney had a strong brand. Fleischers tried a bunch of weird shit, didn't own all of their characters. Uh, uh, just sort of like didn't have their eye on the bigger picture. Uh, you have a very distinct style of animation. Oh my gosh, thank you. And <laughs> and uh, it's true, it's true. In fact, David is the man responsible for this podcast artwork. Oh my God, that's right. Would you consider that the highest honor? <laughs> 
Like yeah. Rank that and Nickelodeon. Oh, you Just guys, I retired after <laughs> I did that. I didn't tell you guys. I peaked. I truly peaked. Um, what? Uh, you have a distinct style. The Fleischers have a distinct style. Disney has its own style. And you have Tex Avery and Chuck Jones, all these other people that we've mentioned. How much do you think the Fleischers have influenced you? Or like if if they did, how and if not, why? Mm, because I, their stuff isn't like as known. Yeah, I, I don't. I think I'm more influenced by them as a fan than as an artist. You know what I mean? Like I think I think I'm now at a place where if I had to choose between a Disney cartoon and a Fleischer cartoon, I'd be like, I want to watch a Fleischer cartoon right now. Um and that wasn't always the case cuz growing up I didn't really know much about them. However, I realized uh, I have a very vague memory of being a kid and going to a theater. I grew up in LA. Uh, and a nice thing about LA is like film history, like just film culture in general is like Mm -hmm. a thing here. And that's, and that's cool to grow up around. It's our church. It's our church. Uh, and I remember going to a screening of Betty Boop cartoons at, I believe it was the silent movie theater, RIP, doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. on Fairfax. I remember seeing it and because I had only seen like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse cartoons prior to it, I remember it blowing my tiny brain of like, these cartoons move different. Like I did, I don't think I could have labeled it as surreal, but that's definitely what they are. I was like, any object can start talking at any moment. Uh, the backgrounds are wiggling along with the songs. Like, like it, it blew my tiny brain. Um, so that maybe had an effect on me. Um, but stylistically like it's just such a dated style if i draw like them it's on purpose to draw an old-timey cartoon you know what i mean right they look old-timey yeah it doesn't necessarily look like it uh translates into the future in the same way that say a disney feature-length animated classic does where you kind of look at like cinderella and you go like oh yeah if you clean this up a little bit you could probably put this out now and people would be like amazing yeah um yeah and i also i feel that way about it's a bummer that Betty Boop is like their main original character because like, I don't think she's timeless. I don't think you could bring her back. You mean that sexy dog isn't timeless? In 2016 or 17, they, they being a source I didn't write down, uh, but they're, they're bringing her back. The show's premise, according to an article. Okay. Okay. uh, (laughs) It will recount the daily struggles, joys and victories of young Betty Boop who has every intention of being on stage and becoming a star. So it's a period piece with her? I I think when they say young Betty Boop, they just mean she's young today. Mm, Okay. Um, I think the only way to bring her back is put it in the 20s again. I think that's a way. I don't think they're going to, but I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, or she's like on Instagram or something (laughs) stupid. Oh, God, Betty Boop is an influencer. (laughs) For a time in the 90s, they were developing a Betty Boop movie that was going to be be a period piece and they had locked down Bernadette Peters. <gasps> right? Be still my heart. Would have been awesome. Never happened. God damn it. Yeah. Um, and, oh, I was going to mention this earlier. Sony released test animation for a Popeye feature cartoon done uh, with computer animation, which at first sounded insane to me because I was like, how can you make a 3D Popeye? But it was going to be directed by, what's his name? Gendy Tar. Tarkovsky. I should know his name because I'm a big fan of Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory and his other cartoons. But he like he made it like the cartooniest CG animation you've ever seen, and it like it felt like a Popeye cartoon. It looked so fucking cool. And then Sony stopped development on it. 
But Hotel Transylvania 3 works. But yeah, hey, they got it, you know? Adam three, Sandler. Three Hotel Transylvania. Adam is what Sandler I'm puts say. butts in seats. This is true. Also, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're fun. They're fun. I've only seen the first one, and I think as a movie, it's all right. But from an animation standpoint, they're doing some cool shit. Yeah. Yeah, they have some fun. They got good gags. They're having fun. Uh, they're having fun. They're having fun. And that's fun. what matters. Uh, why do you, like, I know I've talked about it a little bit, but I'm like, what? I keep coming back to this idea of, like, the legacy. Their legacy is just kind of not destroyed in it by any means, but it's, like, had to have been pieced together in history. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think if there's, like, one singular yeah. thing that makes them so forgotten slash remembered by, like, Hardcore fan. I think it's a, a handful of decisions that, uh, like, there's just a handful of things that didn't go the right way for them that culminated in them kind of being forgotten. I kind of see it as an interesting cautionary tale. That's maybe another reason why I'm fascinated by them is, like, from uh, from, like, a egotistical standpoint, I can't help but, like, think about what I would be like in this time period. And it's sort of like, it's... Being a clown on Cody Island? Being a clown on Co- yeah. <laughs> Egotistical isn't the right word for it, but you know what I mean? Like, I I, I do, with, with cartoon and animation history, a part of my fascination with it is, like, it was a lot of Jewish immigrants, and there's a part of me that's comforted by the fact that, like, if I was around back then, it's very likely that I would still be doing cartoons, and there's something cool about that to me. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I think I identify with it from that point of view. And as someone who's worked in the content game and knows what it's like to try and make something on the budget, on a budget and, like, pump stuff out and, like, uh, not, uh, you know, like, feel, feel weird about who's getting credit. Um, and, like, I see it as a cautionary tale. I feel this way about, like, a lot of animation and cartoon heroes where, like, a lot of them were so good at what they do and were forgotten by time. And, like, that's terrifying oh yeah i mean it just makes me think you know i worry about things that i put out there and i go like oh i shouldn't put that out there but then i also think about if i don't put anything out there i will be absolutely forgotten all the stuff that i have put out there will still also be forgotten so what is the point i'm going back to bed sorry bye guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah similar but different uh harvey kurtzman is another cartoonist i'm uh uh fascinated by who uh, was a very good cartoonist who also then went on to create Mad Magazine, but he was like such a stubborn asshole or like such a, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to phrase it. He had standards that like his own magazine were not meeting. So he like struck off on his own and never really made it happen again mm-hmm. and was also sort of forgotten yeah, by time. There's a lot of stories about the people who took that risk. And- yeah. yeah and it's like it's a little scary it it is it is maybe that that thing we all have we're like why do we watch police chases why you know like why like it's a it's a it's a weird thrill of like oh this didn't go good for you and that's kind of fascinating to me (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah absolutely well I i would say david fleischer does have a very important legacy because he animated Let's All Go to the Lobby. Yes. Oh! That is true. So we can't sit here and say that he was not a talented, important figure in animation. <laughs> because yeah. anytime I go see a movie at the New Art, I see his work. 
He also yeah. supervised something that I can't get over, a, ti- a movie title called Mr. Bug Goes to Town. Yes, Mr. <laughs> Which, Bug Goes to Town was one of two feature-length animated movies the Flashers did. The other one is Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver's Travels, which is straight up no good. Yeah, I just can't get over the title Mr. Bug Goes to Town. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Who and is I, he? Yeah. <laughs> is he a bug? <laughs> What's he doing in town? He is a bug. Um, Why'd he go there? And also, it's like, usually, you know, I don't. That, that's the most mundane thing to title something. <laughs> it's not telling you anything. Let's, like, the title, Let's All Go to the Lobby, lets me know, like, oh, we're doing we're something. And we're all in it together, too. Mm-hmm. And then, Specific. Yes, and Wait, when Nadia, I see those don't, candy you don't, treats. You don't think Let's All Go to the Lobby was a feature-length film, do you? What? <laughs> You're like, look, I yeah, know mo- what that title means. Movies are three minutes. I don't understand. <laughs> Avengers Endgame is, is three hour. I, that's 40 mo- movies. Oof, it's 40 Nadia movies put together. goes to the movies 20 minutes late to skip the previews, only watch the AMC thing where the little red dots <laughs> pop around to talk about turn off your cell phones, and then leaves so satisfied. Yeah. I just don't understand why Hollywood keeps making the same movie over and over yeah, it's always again. always that little guy. before the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mr. Bug Goes to Town, I remember reading that it was like a play on some piece of pop culture that was very well known at the time. There was some other like Mr. Blank Goes to Town. So it was like a play on that. Um, I recognized the poster when I saw it, but I was also just like, that's the name of this movie? Yeah. Mr. Bug Goes to Town? Gulliver's Travels has a lot of issues and uh, was was not their best first feature. Mr. Bug Goes to Town, I think it does legitimately have merit to it and is weirdly ahead of its time because it sort it's it's a pre-Pixar movie about like, a hidden world we don't know about that's being affected by humans, mm-hmm. which feels... So they copied Pixar years before. They copied Pixar? Yeah. <laughs> they tampered with evidence. Yeah. Pixar never used rotoscoping. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, Pixar doesn't have to. They just hit spacebar, spacebar, <laughs> and the character combs his hair. Damn it, that's just not true. Uh, uh, so how many animated uh, hair combing scenes have you... Uh, you know, I'm impressed by animated hair. <laughs> It's the only reason I saw Brave. There's a little mermaid. That's the only one I can think of. I just want to point out that the first sentence on the plot description for Mr. Bug Goes to Town mm-hmm. on the Wikipedia page is Hoppity the Grasshopper, after a period spent away, returns to an American city, parentheses, Manhattan, New York. Um, I'm Who glad, wrote this? I'm glad you read it out loud because I read it as returns to American City. Like that was just the name of the city. It Welcome. Like, Welcome to American City. <laughs> that would make more sense than saying yeah. an American City and then clarifying Manhattan. Yeah. So if he's Mr. Bug, his name is Hoppity Bug. I like that. Yeah, that makes more sense now. Um, Excuse I, me, Mr. Bug was my father. Please. You please call me Hoppity. Call me Hoppity. It's also known as Hoppity Goes to Town and Bugville. Oh, it has three names. Um, Take I'm, that, Lassiter. Sure it's in the public domain, so it's very readily available to watch if you're feeling like it. A lot of the Fleischer stuff is. Yeah. Not the Disney stuff, because Mm-mm. they're the ones who keep um, messing with the public messing domain with, laws. Yep. But, uh, Creating them. And- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's creating true. Creating new versions of it. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that, like, 
uh, as I was reading up on some of the drama and like finding out the history of it, I just kept thinking, I have a younger sister. I love her dearly. I don't know that I would ever go into business with her. No. I think it would ruin our relationship. And I don't know if you have, you have a sister. I do. Yes. And I just wanted, and I know you have siblings, Steve, and I was just wanted to ask you guys, like, would you ever go into business, particularly a creative business with a sibling? I just feel like no, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a weird thing that happened all the time. There were the Warner Brothers. There was Roy and Walt Disney. Uh, who, by the side note, Disney firmly said, we're not going to call our studio Disney Brothers. We're going to call it Walt Disney Studios. And his brother was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> Well, Roy was the money man. Yeah, basically. So it didn't matter so as much. But that would have blown. It'd just yeah, be think, like, my name. Fuck you. But yeah, I think that like uh, nepotism was less of a thing back then. So it was sort of like, well, if you're making a business, you're going to take care of your family. You know what I mean? That's my yeah. guess. That's my guess. Um, I would not go into business with my siblings. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. It just seems... My brother... Is there a, is there a world in which I could feasibly develop a business with my sister like even you know like a bakery like yeah. we're not we're not even gonna we're gonna leave creativity out of it and i just kept thinking N no no i <laughs> no. i will be so it is my own ego i'm gonna admit that i would be the walt disney being like it's my name on the bakery fuck you like i would be yeah. pulling the same shit and i yeah. don't want to ruin our relationship yeah. that way Absolutely. i mean David, hey. thank you so oh much God. for coming on to talk about the no, Pleasure Brothers. You guys, thank you. This is a truly weird obsession of mine that I don't get to talk about a lot. That's the point of the pod. Yeah, so. I feel cleansed. I feel. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel good. That I feel really wasn't good. Supposed to happen. <laughs> I still feel like though. I just gotta say, I think we got. We think there's something. There's something to this Avengers cartoon where they just so, fly yeah. around. They just fly. They go to like where they like, where's Santa Claus at? They fly to him because he's got to get his presents to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So long as there's a sexy dog, yeah. I'm Ooh, I'm in. Yeah. And maybe they have to like race an airplane. <laughs> that could be good. Yeah. <laughs> Monica, oh. get me the airplanes on the phone. The airplanes from the movie planes. Yeah, get me the. Oh yeah. <laughs> My favorite of the Cars spinoffs. Yeah. It's my second favorite. Let's my first favorite is an idea that hasn't been made. Yeah. <laughs> that I have. David, where can people find you in your work? Oh, my goodness. Uh, go on the, the, the wonderful world of the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter at David Kantrowitz. I'm on Instagram. Same, David Kantrowitz. Uh, yeah, check out my stuff. Anything you want to plug? I'm working on things. I don't know. Hopefully, uh, there will be, whenever this comes out, I will also be putting out new episodes of a podcast I co-host about cartoons. So if you liked listening to me talk about cartoons on this, just wait till I talk about more cartoons on another thing. When do you want us on to talk about this Avengers movie <laughs> that we're going to animate? Uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Thank David. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the podcast, share it with everyone you know, any way you know how. Subscribe, like, rate, and review us on iTunes. If you've got questions, comments, concerns, whatever, you can email us at whydoyouknowthatpod at gmail.com. Or if you're more of a picture person, follow us on Instagram at whydoyouknowthatpod. Or, hey, if you want to hang out on Twitter, follow us on whydoyouknowpod. Different because Twitter has weird restrictions when it comes to characters and handles. Let's do this again sometime. Okay. <laughs>